How we doing, folks? My guest today is Brad Call. Brad was the former executive vice president of Maverick Convenience Stores, known throughout the Intermountain West as Maverick Adventure's first stop. Brad helped guide and lead Maverick to over 300 locations and is the largest independent chain of convenience stores in the Intermountain West. In 2013, the company was named CSD's Convenience Store of the Year. Brad was also named the National Association of Convenience Stores Chairman in 2013. Prior to joining Maverick full-time, Mr. Call was employed as Corporate Counsel and Director of Congressional Affairs for the Floor Corporation in Washington, D.C. Mr. Call also served as the Republican President for BYU and the George Washington School of Law while he was getting a degree in accounting and a JD, respectively. I hope you enjoy Mr. Call's journey of failures and successes so far. And please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks, guys, and enjoy. Roland, Mr. Call, thanks for taking the time, sir. I appreciate it. Robert, good to be with you, my friend. <laughs> now, uh, kind of just before we got on, we were, we were kind of uh, starting to jump into your, your start into a little bit of the political realm. And... Uh, Al Simpson and kind of how influential he, he was for you. Yeah, it was an interesting journey for me. I, uh, I've always loved politics. I don't know why, but like you said, I attribute that to Senator Al Simpson. He was, it's been a while, a few years. He was a big deal in the 80s and 90s. He was a senator from the state of Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And tall, lanky guy, wonderful personality, really revered, revered by both sides of the aisle, which is very uncommon today, right? Right, for sure. Anyway. He would come and campaign in Wyoming, obviously, and, and down to the valley and stay with my mom and dad. And the guy was a magician. Okay. <laughs> They'd do these magic tricks for my brother and I, and we just fell in love with this guy. I mean, he was like, this is the coolest guy in the world. And I don't know if that's where I got super excited about politics or not, because I started following him. Yeah. But I'll bet you'll never have anybody on your podcast again that said, I knew in high school that I wanted to be a lobbyist. <laughs> Pro yeah, probably. Uh, may, may, Mr. Foxley might be the only other. He was pretty early on into the uh, into the lobbying, but uh, yeah, no. It's so so. Really, from uh, Al Sim, what kind of magic tricks would he do? He'd just do these coin tricks and stuff, and and, and then my brother and I got into magic, and okay. we started doing magic shows for parties <laughs> and stuff like that. We really got into it, and I still do a few today. It's fun, but uh, but Al Simpson was a a very influential part of my life. I, mm -hmm. I subsequently interned with him and I worked in his office. And like I said, there's never been a guy that, that I've, I've loved more mm -hmm. than, than this guy. And uh, it was funny because he, I, I knew that you couldn't make any money on Capitol Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and I love business. I mean, you know, the, my grandpa started Maverick, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. business has been in our family. I love business. Yeah. And I just felt like, you know what, the, the marriage of politics and business, the only way I could get that done was to be a lobbyist and work for a corporation. And so, right. you know, like you said, I was college Republican president at BYU. I was student lawyer association president at, at George Washington where I went to law school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I worked for Floor Corporation in D.C. as a lobbyist. Bobby, it was the coolest freaking setup. I really? mean, I, I was, here's this Wyoming boy, you know, cowboy, changing pipes, bucking bells. 
<laughs> and, uh, and I have an office overlooking the White House. I mean, these white velvet walls, right? Right. I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't know. I lucked into this thing because there's some Wyoming connections with Al Simpson. I'm like, holy crap, this is so cool. And uh, I know this is kind of a funny little story, but I'll never forget. I was sitting at my desk and, and my boss told me to go out with this, uh, this staffer. Mm-hmm. And I went to lunch and it was $42 and 17 cents. I still remember it. And I came back and I said, Betty, she's my boss. I'm like, I just spent $42 on a lunch. I feel horrible. She, and she says, is that it? <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. Anyway, so I was indoctrinated quickly and, uh, and soon fell in love with Washington, D.C. And yes, there is such things as free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, I mean, speak a little bit to kind of just the, the, the leadership and, and your personality. I mean, to go from, I, I mean, I don't know, you're, you're the head of the, the Republican, you know, at BYU and, and George Washington. Uh, that kind of speaks to some some serious leadership qualities and some serious passion kind of uh, about yeah, politics. Yeah, no, not a passion. I don't know about the leadership yeah. part. But <laughs> I think the passion part. i um, always been real passionate about that. And I've had an interesting career, uh, Robert. It's almost like uh, different lives almost within my own life because at Fleur, so just some, some I don't know, I, I – jumped on to this big project that we were building as part of a consortium with the French, the TGV, you know, the TGV. TGV, yeah. Florida, we were building a high-speed train in Florida called the Florida Overland Express, the Fox train. Okay. It was going to run from Miami up through Palm, uh, you know, to Disney, mm-hmm. and then over to Tampa. It was super okay. cool. And worked on that project for a couple of years. That was what I was doing as a lobbyist, trying to, trying to raise money and, and, and get funding for it. We were successful. And uh, so I spent a lot of time in, in France kicking the tires, taking congressional delegations to, you know, to ride the train and to see the environmental impact of the train and how cool it was. And, and the airport was really constrained with the, in Miami with the Everglades and things like that. So it was a perfect solution for Florida until Jeb Bush came in and killed the project. And I've always hated that guy. Uh, and you know, I'm a Republican hardcore, but that guy I can't stand. Anyway. So, uh, so I spent a lot of time in Europe and we'd always go to these vineyards. Right. And here's this Mormon kid, you know, who fell in love with vineyards and I'm like, this is cool. I want to have a vineyard in Europe one day. And I always thought I'd do it in France. Right. But I'm like, I don't speak French. It's kind of dumb, but I do speak Spanish. So I'm like, hmm, I had to check out Spain. So, you know, I guess it was how long ago? Eight years ago, we did a little cruise to Barcelona. I hopped off and there were some mutual friends. And I knew this real estate guy and hooked up with him. And he showed us some properties. And a month later, I owned a... Uh, a home in Spain. It was built in 1245. That's crazy. 1245. <laughs> 1245. Yeah, that's. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, and, and then, uh, you know, I was with Floor for a while and, and my dad called me one day, says, son, I'm 65. I'm going to retire. If you don't come back, I'll sell out and that'll be the end of your deal. <laughs> okay. And I didn't want to leave. I mean, I love DC. Gotcha. Uh, as you know, I just said 50 times, I love politics, I love the environment, although it is 
not as fun now. So what was the environment like then? The environment in DC was very congenial. Okay. And partly because there were 54 blue dogs in the house. And blue dogs, if you don't know what that means. I do not. They're they're conservative Democrats, mostly from the South. They were all from the South. Okay. And they were such a large force within the Democrat Party that they would really wouldn't allow the party to go too far left. Well, guess what? They're all gone. They're all gone. And so now the party has gone super left. Right. And, and some would argue that the, the, the Republicans have gone super right, and it's very polarized. Yeah. We used to, I mean, I used to hang out with Democrats all the time and go to their functions and as hardcore Republican as I am, you know, and work together. But it's very little of that now, and it's, it's really sad. Yeah. I ended up leaving at the perfect time. I'm a, I was in D.C. when a person should be in D.C. Mm-hmm. Because that's when things got done. It didn't. Yeah, there was there was fighting. There was a lot of passion around your ideas. But a half a pie was always better than no pie, Robert. And yeah, that is absolutely. not the mentality today. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you, my way you, or the highway, you suck. You're wrong. Yeah. You know. That's what we're living in. No, and it's really, it's extremely, uh, it's extremely difficult to see uh, what what the future is going to hold because it seems like the the divide is is worsening before it's before it's going to get better. Yeah, if it ever does, I mean, yeah. who knows? Who? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's pretty pretty nasty out there, but I only know one thing, Robert, and I don't know if this will make it into the podcast, but if there ever was a civil war, you got one side who can't figure out which bathroom to use. <laughs> and my side with guns and lots of bullets. So I'll pick me. <laughs> perfect. So, perfect. Perfect. I like the uh, I like the side with guns. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's pretty good. Don't don't know bathroom to use. That's pretty good. I haven't uh, haven't heard that one yet, DC. <laughs> Sorry. No, help. you're good. Not myself. No, you're good. You're good, my man. Now, so kind of moving forward when you came back to Utah what what was that process like kind of coming back it's got to be a little bit of a of a culture shock for I mean I guess you're obviously you're from Wyoming and and oh, you, know, Robert, you know the no pace idea. but I mean you're spending all that time in DC it's got you to be have a little no bit. idea like I told you I had this beautiful office I mean it, one I didn't deserve and it just blew me away every day you know with this with this view of the White House which was amazing mm-hmm and, you know, just hobnobbing with all these senators and, you know, I was in the White House. And if you ever want to hear my Clinton story, I'll tell you that. And, uh, yeah, it's a good one. And then, uh, uh, and like I said, my dad called and said, hey, you know, you need to come back or, or I'll be done. And, mm-hmm. and I always knew, honestly, that I'd go back to Maverick. I just wasn't ready to do it right then. Yeah. But I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. So we packed up and, and headed to Utah. And I'll never forget my first day in the office. I'm overlooking a field of weeds, stinky refinery up the road. I'm like, what in the hell did I just do? <laughs> I just, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this. <laughs> but there I was. And uh, I got over it in a day, but uh, fell in love with Maverick and was super excited because I saw a diamond in the rough. I mean, here, if you've been around a while, you'd know the old Maverick. It was Fast Freddy's discount gas, you know, cinder block walls. And we had to be cheaper than everybody because our offering just sucked. 
I mean, it right. was get along little doggy, you know, marketing. And I'm just like, the old West and this kind of stuff just does not appeal to anybody anymore. And why are we doing it? Mm -hmm. I want to go toe to toe with the big boys. My, my dad and his two brothers would never build a store across the street from a Chevron because they were scared. Mm -hmm. So they'd build it out of town and hope that, you know, people would come and, and the area would grow and they build it with cash. Right. So they never had, it was never leveraged it in, in, in when you leverage something, Robert, it makes you hungry. Yeah. It makes you want to work really hard to make that thing work. You sure. pay with cash and it's like, Oh, it works. It's great. If it doesn't work, whatever. And that was kind of their mentality. And so my cousin, Mike and I were like, we're going to change this thing. And you got to remember third generation families is when everything goes to hell. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of the rule of thumb of the business world and family businesses. And, uh, and so I was a little worried about that, but Mike and I had the greatest partnership. We saw eye to eye and everything. Yeah. Like I said, I came out and Bobby, I looked around and I'm like, you know what? I see the convenience store world. They're all boxes. One box has a blue and, and white stripe around it. One has a black and red stripe around it, but it's all the same. Mm -hmm. They all offer the same products mm -hmm. and, and there's nothing that made them different. Yeah, no different. So the first thing I said is if we can be different, I think it's going to pay big dividend. Mm -hmm. It may not appeal to everybody. Right. And, you know, we had the Maverick name and it's like, well, that's a good name, solid name. And I got to tell you, it's funny how that name came into. How being. did that name? Uh, I was going to ask you, how did, how did that name come to come to be? My grandfather was a Sinclair dealer. Worked, he was good friends with Earl Holding from Sinclair. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so he sold a lot of Sinclair gas, and he decided he wanted to do his own thing. And he was waiting for his secretary to come out of her house one day, and she comes in. She goes, well, he, he's like, what were you doing? He says, I was watching Maverick on TV. He's like, damn, that's a cool name. And just to be more Maverick-y, I'm going to take the C out. <laughs> so I took the CEO. And seriously, that's how the name came to be. He didn't want to, he didn't, he was worried about getting sued. So he goes, we'll, we'll take the C out. So that is how Maverick came into being. And it was Maverick Country Store and Bakery for a while. I dropped that. And like I said, we, I looked at the brand and I said, Maverick's got a lot of equity. I don't want to screw that up. We're in the West. The old West is, is not a thing anymore. Yep. And so, you know, hired a team and we got together and started thinking about what we could do to rebrand this company. Sure. And think about it, Bobby, 140 stores at the time, all these old cinder block, yellow country store and bakery, you know, yep. weird Leopold. Yeah, no, I mean, I, like I mean, that. I remember, I mean, you know, out, you know, growing up here and the, the one that's in park city here. I mean, that was, a, I remember the old kind of brick and mortar style of it and, and yeah. how much it's, uh, it really changed. I mean, so what, where does that, you know, uh, just speaking to your, your, uh, dad and brother that were kind of running it before, like, where does, where does that drive for you? Like, Hey, we need to make these changes. This needs to happen. Where, 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 where does that drive come from for you? Bobby, I, like I said, I just saw, I just saw business, a di it was really a diamond in the rough, something that, that we're independent and this could be really cool if it were run right. Mm -hmm. And Mike and I were in the same, in the same mindset. Same boat, we, yeah. 
And so I was in charge of marketing mm -hmm. and, uh, and I looked around and I said, you know, we're in, the, we're in the West and people love to get out on their snowmobiles and their, you know, their ATVs and their boats. And, and this is what we do, right? We provide fuel for the body. We provide fuel for your vehicles. And so I started thinking that way and it's like, okay, um, you know what? This is the place to come to get hooked up for your next adventure. And that's how adventures first stop. Gotcha. You know, no matter what adventure you're on, Maverick is a place to get hooked up for that adventure. Yeah. And so we did some crazy things. You know, we, I was the first one in the industry to wrap tanker trucks, completely wrap them. I mean, you've seen them on the freeways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was like, man, we've got these huge billboards and they're big shiny metal tanks. I mean, let's, let's make a statement. Yeah. And so we, we wrapped them with, you know, you know, Ronnie Duncan, we took photos of him riding his motorcycle. So the motorcycles flying out of the side of the tank, the truck. And I wanted to tell a story and I wanted to be different. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if we could do that, we'd win. And so we started building these stores and putting money into them. It wasn't this stupid, uh, you know, cinder block wall crap. Mm -hmm. We put pine trees inside, you know, a lot of your listeners have probably been in one. Pine trees and these big murals. It was supposed to be, the idea was you were walking into the great outdoors. Right. Look, we sell Pepsi and Coke too. Mm -hmm. And although we do have the bonfire grill, which was kind of unique, we were selling many of the same products. And so I felt like if I could get the endorphins flowing by, hey, this is a cool experience and this, this speaks to me that your Coke would taste better right. <laughs> and you wouldn't yeah. know why yeah. all subliminal stuff. Right. Yeah. But that was my thinking Bobby. And, and there's a book that's come out since that I should have written, <laughs> <laughs> but it was called the uh, blue ocean strategy. And if you haven't read that book, it transform it's transformation. Blue ocean strategy, blue ocean strategy. And the idea sure. is, this guy says the businesses that succeed mm -hmm. are those that don't go out and try to steal other customers and compete with other businesses. Mm -hmm. They create unique offerings. They create their own marketplace, their own mm -hmm. customer base that's different. And the, one of the examples they use is, uh, is Barnum Bailey Circus. And, they, and when he wrote the book, they were still in business. Okay. <laughs> and now they're not. But you know what spun off from them was Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. You know, they didn't have the expense of the elephants and the big tents and blah, 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 this and that. And they went and did their own thing. Right. And, and huge, we're huge extremely success, yeah. successful. Well, that was the idea. And the idea is you don't want to compete in the bloody red ocean. You want to create a new, uh, a new marketplace for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit of the thinking I had with Maverick. I want something unique, something different, yep. something that would speak to the people we speak to in the West. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the genesis of the, of the whole thing. And, and it's, I mean, it's such been such a differentiator. I mean, I remember, go, go, I mean, going through, driving through Vernal, like on the way to Steamboat from Park City, you know, there's, there's those stops there, there's those Mavericks along the way. And being a former competitor, you know, skiing and everything else, we would, we would always like, you know, stop at a, at a Maverick or something like that, because there was that cool, you know, it was kind of the, uh, what was it, late 90s, 2000s, the extreme when extreme was really in, right? You know, right, and uh, exactly. 
X games are kind of taken off and stuff like that. And it kind of had that, that kind of twist to it. And, you know, Utah is such a unique state in and of itself. You have Moab, the red rocks, you have all that pretty stuff and then snowmobiling skiing and, and to have all that in there. I mean, it's the perfect place to, to, it was a, it was a no brainer for us. We're like, oh, yeah, go here. Yeah. I mean, and it was, <laughs> uh, trust me, it was, it takes a lot of capital mm-hmm. and a lot of work. You think about it, you've got 140 stores. I, we left with almost 300 stores, but it took so long to get rid of the old crap and uh and either rebuild them it was impossible almost to remodel any of these old stores so it just it took a while you know and but it was a fun project and and we were we were successful and and really created something i think that was unique and and valuable now what what kind of pushback did you have when you're going through and like okay we're trying to go through and kind of come up with that change because i feel like coming in and, and things are kind of set and people don't really like change, right? They're like, ah, this doesn't, this is foreign. So automatically you're, I don't want to go there. <laughs> you're pretty young Robert, but you're pretty damn smart. Um, <laughs> that's a guy I'll never forget. I told you the example of like the tanker trucks, right? Mm-hmm. I remember the truckers coming up to me and saying, I will never drive a truck with that on there. I like, you know, what this with those murals, he says, you know, I remember this guy, he's like, his last name was Sokol. And he's like, this truck is shiny and I keep it clean and that's cool. That's what's cool. And I'm like, dude, if you don't want to drive for me, then that's fine. Out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? But it was funny because three or four years later, they're like, Brad, make sure you put the snowmobile mural on my truck. That's the one I want. I want this. I want the, the motorboat, you know, on mine. Yeah. It, was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, uh, and so it does. It, it takes time to transform people's thinking. And the only disagreement that Mike, my cousin and I who ran the place, mm-hmm. ever had was he was a finance guy mm-hmm. and I get where he was coming from, but we had these old crappy stores that were paid for 100% mm-hmm. and then cash flow, right? Yep. The money's coming in. I wanted to close them down because I felt like your, only, your brand is only as good as your worst store. Mm-hmm. And we had some crappy old stores that I wanted to just get rid of them. He's like, Brad, these things cash flow. They pay for the new ones. And so there was that tussle, that tug of war between he and I back and forth. Right. Um, and that was really about the only disagreement he and I ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get where he's coming from. And I think he, he really understood where I was coming from. And, but that was the, the tussle we had. Right. Um, trying, to, trying to bring the, bank, the brand into the into the new age, right? Drag it out. Got to pay for it, right? And it's yeah. expensive. I mean, it's a new store. A new store costs three million bucks. That's just yeah. a store. Just Not a store. Land. You know, so you're you're into a store four and a half million bucks, five million dollars, and you know that money just goes doesn't grow on trees, right? You right. got a lot of chili cheese dogs, Robert. <laughs> Definitely a lot of chili cheese dogs. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy to think about how much uh, revenue that it takes to kind of be able to four or 5 million. That's, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of womp when they get them going and there's over what 300 now, right? Yeah. I think uh, they're up to 360. And although I will tell you, they're screwing up my brand. I, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they'll just say sour grapes, but yeah. yeah you know, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, so, so when you went back, what, what year was that? I went back in 1999. 99. Okay. 
and then really, really kind of turns it around. And um, I know you, they were what the NACS chain of the year in 2013, right? 2012, 2013. Yeah, we store were, of the we, year. We store decisions. Yeah, we. And for uh, those out there that don't know, uh, NACS is the National Association of Convenience Stores. Very good, Robert. That is which, true. Which you were the chairman of, right? They asked you to be the chairman uh, from 2013 to 2014. There it is, right there. <laughs> <It's> my gavel. <laughs> There's your gavel. My, uh, it was a cool experience. I mean, I was. It was a real honor. Yeah. So I was chairman of the association for a year. Yeah, and uh, been involved in the association for years, and it's run by super super talented individual named Hank Armour, and and um, he's got a great team and and uh, great organization. One hundred seventy five thousand convenience stores, Bobby, in the United States. It's crazy. <clears throat> we get half of those people shop at our stores every day. One half, really, of the population in the U.S. So think about that. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. Well, I saw the revenue that drives like uh, over six hundred and fifty billion in, in annually, which is just—I mean, that's, those are just monster numbers. So, I'm impressed. You're doing your homework. <sighs> Try to do a little research, BC guy. Try and do a little <laughs> research there. So, yeah, I did. I mean, it's crazy how big. So, so when you're the chairman of that, what what is that like? Because I mean, they have over essentially uh 3700 uh members between uh retail and supplier companies i mean that's a huge thing to kind of to kind of chair and run and that's that's got to be pretty exciting yeah and you're talking about do you see i guess got an icloud storage thing you can't see that on your screen can you no no no. okay i'm like what the heck (laughs) okay um yeah uh yeah you're talking about convenience store chains like 7-eleven they just bought speedway I mean, they've got 12,000 stores and they just added another Mm 4,000. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but um, so another business opportunity I I have and I'm working on right now is trying to put uh, 5G, small, it's a small antenna format on top of stores. So I'd go to my, 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 my brother's. Mm-hmm. CEOs at 7-Eleven, Circle K, and all these convenience stores, and I'd say, "How much money are you making on your roof?" They'd be like, uh, "Never thought of that. Nothing." Zero. <laughs> <laughs> so we put together a coalition of about forty thousand stores, and and we're marketing uh, my team and and uh, and a tower company, and we're marketing these rooftops to AT and T. Uh, T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, and, those, yeah. um, and, uh, and having some pretty good, starting to see some good success. Um, they're starting to roll out 5G finally, but we're where the people are. The antennas have to be at about 20, 25 feet because the signal's a lot shorter than okay. the 4G stuff you see on the big towers. Yep. So that's what I've been spending a lot of my time doing um, is, is trying to get these things built on, on these community store rooftops that's to make them revenue and to, and to bust out the, the 5G network. I mean, it's a, it's cheaper to work with the governments, you know, to put them on their utility poles, but it's so hard. I mean, working with the government takes them two years to get anything done and blah, blah, blah. We can do it like that. You know, yeah. we can, we can have an antenna up in a week. Well, plus with your prior experience, you know, the difficulty in kind of getting things to move with, with government. But I mean, that's such a great idea. I mean, that's a, you know, there's so many convenience stores. Yeah. 
No, I mean, it really is though. I mean, if you think about it, all the different places we're driving anywhere, I mean, it's tons of different rooftops you can put it on for sure. So yeah, no, that's a, yeah, it's been a fun project really has. And so that's what uh, it's keeping me busy right now. And then, uh, and of course the vineyard, yeah. uh, has got me hopping. So well, it's gotta be, it's difficult right now with, uh, with COVID, uh, not being able to kind of travel over to, over to Spain. Yeah, I can't even go see my own stuff. I can't even go to my own house. Freaking bums. Hopefully soon. Hopefully somewhat soon here, you know. It'll be, uh, I've got it'll a be crush coming up, Robert, and uh, we, we usually do – we usually crush the grapes first week of October. Okay. Uh, my vineyard's at about 3,000 feet, 890 meters. So when you're going in oh. to do the crush, what does that consist of? Well, it's, it's, um, it's the cosecha – What's the word? Harvesting. Harvesting. Sorry. <laughs> Harvesting the grapes mm-hmm. and, and then processing them. And so we have, I have a bodega, you know, and the machinery to, to crush the grapes. And then you run it through, you know, without getting into all the details, you, right. you ferment the grapes. I've got both white and red and we ferment those grapes. And then you, you, you store it in barrels or steel tanks, depending on, you know, white or red or what you want to do with it. And yeah. And then uh, bottle it. And so we started this. I, I planted. So I've got about 10 acres, about 12 acres now with the Pinot Noir. And I wanted mostly Spanish varietals. So I've got Tempranillo, which is hugely, I mean, if you've heard of Rioja wines, right. just probably the most famous wine region in Spain, that's all Tempranillo. And, uh, and a little bit of Preto Picudo, which is another varietal, Spanish varietal, and then some whites. Riesling, everybody's heard of. Buda, nobody's heard of. Tempranillo Blanco, nobody's heard of. But that's what I've got. And I just planted some Pinot Noir. Because we're right at the sweet spot. So what's happening with climate change is a lot of the vintners are moving up into the mountains. Okay. Because you need the cooler climate to get the kind of acidity. Otherwise, you get a flabby, flat wine. And that's a problem a lot of the, the, the vineyards are having now in all over the world. <laughs> So we're kind of right at the top of the sweet spot. It's a mountain wine. Okay. And we started in 2013, had our first harvest in 18, threw it in barrels and bottles, and we're going to sell it, hopefully, uh, this, uh, this, this winter. Okay. So we'll bottle the red. You typically keep, we try to keep it in barrel for a year, and then we'll bottle that red. I've got a reserve that I keep for two years in barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be ready in 2021 or 22 rather, but in 21, we'll sell our first, our first batch. So kind that's of exciting. exciting. I mean, that's a crazy how long that kind of process uh, takes. Well, I tell people Robert, so I, I, we, we do have some bottles and I bring them home in a suitcase and I give them to my friends. And I'm like, this will be the most expensive bottle of wine you have ever consumed in your life. <laughs> I'm not saying it will be the best, but it will be the most expensive. I figure it's 10,000 a bottle. Who knows? But, oh, my gosh, it's a money pit from hell over there. <laughs> but it's fun, and I've got two brands, and so it's pretty exciting. Uh, the one brand is Clarea, which is the name of the house. And Clarea. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but this is a fascinating story. No, if no, you got good. time, you want to hear it? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So – so they believe that part of this structure, my house in Catalonia, it's about a nor- an hour north of Barcelona, in a little town called Santa Maria de Besora, 
they believe because there's some oral <clears throat> there was there's mention of a structure there in 887 887 but they know for sure that the main structure the main part of the house it's been added on to since Mm-hmm. But the main part of the house was built in 1245. 1245. And then there was a, another addition in 1657. One in it, they put a chapel on it in 1898. You know, and it's just been built on you know, over the years. But, but it's a fascinating story. The Pujolone family. What's the Pujolone uh, family? They were like tenant farmers. And they had these, so they had thousands and thousands of acres of land. And they'd have all these other little houses that they would rent and let people come and work the land. And, you know, they'd pay them, they'd pay the, the, the family, uh, you know, to, to work the land. Mm-hmm. Like in the old, you know, the olden days. Right. And, uh, and the Claudia name is an Italian name. It's not Spanish. And so it's right. weird. Why Claudia there in the middle of Spain? Right. <clears throat> and what happened was... The Pope asked the Claudia family in Italy, which is a, a big military family, uh, very prominent military family, to help expel the Moors, the Muslims, from Spain in about 1350-ish. And so the Claudia fam- some of the Claudia guys, uh, you know, generals, whatever they were, came into Spain, and somehow one hooked up with a Pujolone daughter and married her and moved into the house and changed the name in 1350 to Clarea. And so for the next 600 years, Robert, the house was known as Clarea. And it's kind of sad to see this dynasty, you know, disappear. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to keep it alive, but, you know, but I'm not a Clarea. In 1960, uh, Pilar Clarea was the last heir, and she didn't have any, any heirs. Gotcha. And so the house was sold in, in 1960. 1960. So from 1350, we're really from 1245, 1350 mm-hmm. to 1960, the house and, and the lands were in the, in the Clyde family. So how did you find all this out? I mean, is it, how did you find out all the, all the history about it? I feel like that's not readily available. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, local historians, believe it or not, the, the, really the only historians back in the day, especially in 1350, were the monks. Mm-hmm. They were the only ones who, who could read and write. And so you can find uh, a lot of history by going into the archives of the Catholic Church. And you can find, um, you know, transactions like, okay. you know, uh, the Claudia family, such and such a person literally um, sold two cows, you know, for this acre of land. That, that's, that's, you know, it was all kind of transcribed by, by the monks and stuff. But what was going on in, in the daily lives of, of the people in the communities, they would. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, anecdotal type information. Right. We knew, as a matter of fact, we know they had, they grew some vines there at Claudia. But okay. when I bought it, there were no vines, no vines in the region. You probably, have you heard of the Phloxera plague? Mm, no, I have not. So this is one of the crazy stories. And, and talk about American capitalism, I guess, at its finest or its worst, whatever you want to say. But So the Phloxera plague hit Europe in 1850 to 1890 and completely wiped out almost all of the vineyards in Europe. 
I'm talking France, Spain, Italy, everything. What happened was there was some Americans that were showcasing their wine. They didn't know. I mean, this wasn't done on purpose. They had no idea mm-hmm. back then. They brought these, these, these vines over to, I think it was World's Fair in, in England. Okay. And they brought dirt, you know, because they, they had to package them up. But they had this bug called the phylloxera bug in the dirt. In Europe. And it escaped. And just over, you know, the decades just spread and wiped everything out. And here's a crazy thing. And, and it's amazing because without the Americans, there would be no wine in the world today. And I'm talking about North America because the wine, the vines here, because, um, you know, somehow biologically through the, through the years became resistant to this plague, to this bug. And so I love when you're talking to a French in a French chateau, you know, <laughs> one of these vintners, you say, this is a really good American wine. And they're like, oh, sacre bleu. <laughs> because every, almost every single foot, it's called a foot. So you're talking about the, the root system. Mm-hmm. Every single foot is an Ameri- is American stock. Really? It's phylloxera resistant. And the funny thing is we wiped out their vineyards and then we sold them the solution. <laughs> Here, we'll sell you some rootstock. <laughs> we destroyed your vines, and now we're going to sell you the solution to make it all right again. So, so yeah, any, any Italian, almost, almost every wine, there's some small areas that, that are phylloxera resistant. You know, those, the, if the root system's in a really gravelly soil or sandy soil, okay. sometimes it won't be affected. But 95, 98% of all the vineyards over there were wiped out. <clears throat> anyway, so that's what, yeah, so that's what wiped out the, the vineyards in Catalonia, and most people just didn't replant because it wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't economical. Now, have you always been into wine? I mean, since you were kind of younger, right? You were talking about when you went over and no, no, no. I was into the landscaping. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was okay. great, and I wanted to be a part of it. But yeah, no, I, was, I was never into wine. Oh, I, I never drank anything. Gotcha. Wine, but I don't know. It's weird, huh? Yeah, it's a weird, no, I mean, it's it's crazy. Problem. The uh, the amount of history, the history about it's super interesting, though. I mean, I had no idea about that. That's I'm gonna have to have to dig in and, and and read a little bit about that. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really really cool, and and I've learned a lot about wine. I knew nothing about it. I mean, gee, like I said, I mm-hmm. Mormon boy grew up. I didn't know anything about this crap. <laughs> but it's been fun. I got two brands. One is the uh, Claudia brand, and the other is the Nymphs of Claudia. That huh. that the Nymphs of Claudia I'll export to the United States. Okay. And, uh, the Claudia brand, I'll just keep locally because the Catalonia people are really, really proud mm-hmm. of things that are produced in their areas. You, you probably heard of the independence movement over there. You yeah. know, they want to be done with the, the lazy Spaniards, et cetera, et cetera. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, so they, they love local products. And so that's kind of the marketing that I'm marketing angle I'm using with the Claudia wine is, Hey, we're from here. We're local. We're the only vineyard in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you got Penn and S and Peter but those are, you know, a couple hours away. Right. So we're the only vineyard in the area and I want to sell that locally. Um, and hopefully we'll have success. You know, Hey, this is, this is your wine. This is made right here in your backyard. Yeah. So I'm sure it will. All the love, uh, all the love and care you're putting into it. I'm sure it'll definitely, uh, Take yeah, the other brand, region. the other brand will sell uh, all export. Okay. 
Uh, how, how much of a process is that going to be? Have you already started to kind of dive in into what the exporting and kind of dealing with? Well, here's the deal, Robert. I told you about, uh, I told you about Blue Ocean Strategy, right? Right. How much time do you have? Do you want to hear any detail about? I would love to. Yeah, no, I got time. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess, I'm probably yeah. bored the living crap out of your uh, listeners, but uh I don't know. I'm, well, I'm engaged. I'm, I'm interested. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. So, well, yeah, no, care, I I'll, I'll tell you story. so I told you about blue ocean strategy mm-hmm. and how transformational that mindset is in my opinion to anybody, anyone doing business. I think it's, it's critical to success. Um, and like I said, you could go back and look at the companies that were really good at blue ocean strategy and you know, like, you think about these, all, all these iconic companies have gone out of business mm-hmm. because they, they didn't think this way. Um, and so I wanted to create, so here's the deal. So you've heard of Burgundy, right? Burgundy, yeah. You've heard of Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. You've heard of Rioja. Heard of Rioja. Those names are powerful names, right? Mm-hmm. They're powerful marketing tools. If you can put Bordeaux on your bottle, there's not a Chinaman that won't buy that. I mean, because, because of the marketing they do. Sure, yeah, it's built in. They spend millions and millions, and, and over you know, the centuries, they've created this brand. Mm-hmm. Burgundy, same way. Rioja, Penedes, Priorat. You know, you think about uh, Barolo and, 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 and all the Barbaresco, you know, yeah. and, and all the great brands in Italy and throughout the world, in Spain and in France. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? I'm not in Rioja. I'm not in Burgundy. I'm not in a DOC. DOC means denominación de origen is, and I don't know how to say it in English, but it's, it's the region. Yeah. Uh, it's a region that allows you to market your brand, your bottle that way. So, so Rioja, for example, there are 1,200 vintners. Okay. And they can all put... Rioja. Rioja on their bottle. That's immediate gravitas, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, oh my gosh, this has got to be decent because I see Rioja. Right. Well, you have to follow. I mean, in Burgundy, for example, it's super, I mean, in every, in every DOC, it's super uh, regulated. Like in Burgundy, you can't water your vines. You can only sell Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. That's it. Wow. Well, Beaujolais is part of the is DOC, so there's some Gamay grapes down south. But, but, but you know that's that's the deal. The, the, the regulations are insane, you know, um, and and so. But with that comes this marketing prowess and this powerhouse that they have. I don't have any of that, and I'm like, how in the world am I going to compete with these guys? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to compete with these guys. I'm going to create an entirely different market so that I can be successful in this bloody red ocean, no pun intended, you know, mm-hmm. because that, again, blue ocean strategy, blue ocean, red ocean. Right. So I can be successful in this bloody red ocean because there's no way I can go up against Muga, you know, um, uh, Lopez de Heredia, you know, Tondonia, these huge brands that I'd get crushed. One, I don't have the economies, economies of scale. I mean, they're producing 
hundreds of thousands or millions of bottles. Yeah. So they have these, these economies of scales that I don't have. And then, and then the, all the marketing and I'm just, I'm just sitting there, you know, with my hands, you know, on my head, building mud puddles with my tears, trying to think about <laughs> how I'm going to, I can possibly make right. this work. Yeah. And so the idea I came up with was again, using the blue ocean strategy is I'm not going to compete with them. I'm going to create for the consumer a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> So I'm creating a movie. Creating a movie? I've got, I've got a seven minute movie short. I'm doing a movie. Okay. Uh, and the idea is to involve all the senses in the wine experience, not just the nose and the, not just the palate. Mm-hmm. So the ears, the eyes, I want to get the uh, endorphins flowing. Right. So, so the brand is called the Nymphs of Claudia. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see the beautiful nymphs crushing your grapes that you're about to consume, mm-hmm. you have to pull the cork. There's a unique code. And on the bottle, there's a, a QR code or something. will take you to the website. And this is all patented, by the way. You look at the, you, you enter the code and you can see these beautiful nymphs. They're naked. Yeah, I get it. But they're painted. You know, so it's very artistic. It's not porno stuff. It's very high-end artistic stuff. Yeah. You can watch these nymphs literally crushing the grapes you're about to consume. And uh, the idea. <laughs> the no, idea. It's really, yeah, it's, yeah, I like it. That's the awesome. idea is to create an experience for people. I mean, because yeah. you look down the list and, you know, wines, and it's all the same, right? It's like Maverick. It's like, yeah. it's like the convenience store world. They're all the same. I wanted to create a different experience for people. And so I've, pat, I've, I've copyrighted 40 nymph names. So we're starting with the air nymph, fire nymph, earth nymph, and water nymph. And I'm creating stories around each nymph. And on the bottle, so each year I'll bring out an additional four nymphs. And we take these sexy pictures of these, of these gals, these models. And I've got this artist, uh, Jeff Wack, who's, and Brad Plowman, who, who's helping me here locally. Jeff's in, in L.A., and we're creating some of the most beautiful artwork you've ever seen in your life. And well, you can have me on in, in six months and we'll have the website ready and the movies ready to go. We're about half done with the movie. Very cool. And, uh, and we'll showcase kind of what, how we're doing and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's super unique and it's really uh, a great way to kind of cut through the clutter for sure. Because I mean, there's so many times when you kind of, at least around here, you know, I, I would say most people my age aren't, aren't uh, super well versed in, in wine. So you go through and I, I know, especially my fiance, she'll look through like, oh, let's get that because I like the label. I like the, oh, you know, just know you, some of the, but so being able to kind of cut through the, the <laughs> yes. and, and exactly, and it's unique. It's super unique. I mean, however, it is, I, I believe very strongly in targeted marketing. Mm-hmm. Making a product for the masses is a ridiculous notion in my opinion. Sure. Um, so I'm, so I'm very into, again, what I call targeted marketing and my demo, understanding who your demo is. Right. It was like at Maverick, you know, if you love sushi and, and you know, we still want you to come to the store, but you're probably, you're probably, 
I, I say sushi as an example. I love sushi, but <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're some frou-frou, you know, big city yeah. guy, you're not going to really appreciate walking in the great outdoors. And so this probably isn't for you, mm-hmm. but I'm not trying to appeal to everybody. And so with this brand, my brand is obviously men mm-hmm. with money right? and lesbians. I mean, <laughs> lesbians will love it too, I think, but, uh, but men with money and lesbians with money, <laughs> but, but it's, the idea is to, to make something visually very attractive. And so yeah. I wouldn't recommend Robert mm-hmm. you taking the Nymphs of Clarea wine, ordering it on your anniversary of Capitol. I'm just saying that's probably not the best. I don't know. I yeah. think she'd appreciate it. I think she'd appreciate it. Maybe I'm going to disagree with you there. <laughs> Maybe she would, but this whole Me Too stuff and it's like, yeah. look, again, this is supposed to be really artsy, high end. And that's, but it's still beautiful. I mean, I right. beautiful the woman's form is beautiful. I mean, we can all agree on that, I think. And yeah. so we're kind of showing that off in a tasteful way. But um, yeah, maybe she is. I hope she is. But uh, but when you go to dinner with your dad and your buddies, <laughs> yeah, and Ron and D Dub and, and Foxley, then yes, definitely order this bottle. <laughs> yeah, we definitely <laughs> You'll have a couple free bottles in your cup in your cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> definitely well no it's uh it's super exciting yeah i think that's i think that's a great idea i think that's super unique and like i said cuts definitely cuts through uh the the clutter well the cool thing robert about the nymphs when i was trying to think of how i could present and create this unique offering mm-hmm. was the greeks so you know what the nymphs are right you know mm-hmm. the nymphs the these, these gals, you read them in Homer and all these, you know, Greek mythology is super cool, super yeah. fun stuff. And they would tempt the, the travelers, you know, they'd be in the ponds and in the forests and these hot little nymphy girls would, you know, so there's all these stories about how they'd seduce, uh-huh, seduce <laughs> these, these helpless, innocent male travelers walking through the forest. <laughs> anyway, the Greeks were, were very prevalent. Mm-hmm in Catalonia, in San Martí de Asturias, over um, on, in the Costa Brava, there are Greek and Roman ruins. Now, usually the, the Romans would build over the Greek stuff and ruin everything. Um, and in this instance, in Catalonia, they didn't want to be so close to the ocean where the Greeks were, so they built just behind it. Okay. And so they preserved all that Greek, um, that Greek history there. But there's so much Greek history in, in my own little valley, I told you Santa Maria de Vesora, where right. my house is, mm-hmm. there's a castle on the hill that was kind of the protector for the whole valley. It was a castle where the king lived. That's so cool. The local king. And they were there from like six, 700 AD to like 1100. Mm-hmm. And it's on this, this huge cliff, you know, at the very top. It's impossible to get to, but you know, it was a defensive. And, uh, and so, and everybody would take their dead from the valley, mm-hmm. haul them up to the castle, up the side of this cliff, and bury them up there by the church that was there. Really? And, and of course, you know, you think about all these people, and they had to kind of pile them up, and so they're layers, right? And so now they're doing the excavation. I am actually have funded a great deal of the excavation work up there. It's a super cool project. I know I'm bouncing all over the place, but um, they were they dig down through um, through these centuries in, in the 
and the corpses and things. And, and of course, back then they'd always bury you with, you know, valuables, you know, either a valuable necklace or a, a chalice. I mean, they found this gold chalice and all these super cool things. I mean, imagine. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool, cool as hell. And um, uh, they found, they found a bunch of Greek coins. And so the Greeks were very much a part of this area. And, mm -hmm. and so that's, that's why I started thinking about the nymphs and, and Greek mythology. I want to do, I want to build this huge bodega, this huge temple. Mm -hmm. I want a Greek temple. I mean, huge. I'm just, I just need millions, Bobby. <laughs> so when you when your podcast takes off and you're making zillions, I need a loan. I'm happy to. Thank you. And I want to build this huge Greek temple with, uh, with uh, ceiling to floor glass. So it's very modern. But outside, it would look like the Parthenon, kind of. That'd be that. cool. <laughs> and, then, and then enclosed in glass, obviously, yeah. with a restaurant. And I just want to create this story and this, this wonderful experience for people mm -hmm. there in Catalonia with the nymphs. And, and the fun thing about the nymphs is the storytelling is absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's so fun. I mean, you talk about the air nymph and the water nymph, and you tell stories about them and why they exist and what they do. And it's been fun. Yeah, that's all. I mean, that's awesome. And it's one of those things going over to Europe that I always, always love is just the, the history that we don't have here in the, I mean, just that deep, you know, uh, traveling through Germany and Austria and you see all these super cool old castles and need to get, need to make my way to Spain, need to make my way to Spain. But speaking on that, I mean, you're uh, a guy that loves to travel, right? You bounce you've all over the place. You got a place to rest your head, Bobby. All right. right. I'm, coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Your dad's been over there a bunch. I'm coming. And we've had a good time. Next flight. Next flight I can get out there. I'm, uh, I'm making my way for sure. Hopefully soon. <laughs> Ask your dad. He's like, oh, because I always haul him to these. I, I, I drag him to vineyard after vineyard. He goes, oh, let me guess. We're going to go see some more racking. <laughs> he gives me so much crap about that. Oh, more racking. More racking. More racking. <laughs> and I eat it up. I can't get enough of it, you know. And he uh, rolls his eyes. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Now, have you always had that kind of love of history? I mean, just kind of uh, talking to you. I mean, you're very well-versed in, in that regard. And, and that's stuff that you kind of have to learn. And it seems like you really enjoy going through and kind of uh, not only le learning the culture of the area, but just, uh, just in general. I, I do love yeah. uh, those I, things. I, I feel like that, uh, especially my generation, a lot of our friends and stuff like that. I mean, it's one of those things that that I feel like is getting lost more and more with each generation of TikTok and, yeah. and everything else. Uh, I know, and I re I'm really getting off on Greek mythology now, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's sad, Bobby, because I mean, I get this whole movement of you know. I wouldn't want, if I were a, a black person, I wouldn't want my street to be named Robert E. Lee either. I get it, right? 100%, 100%. But destroying these statues, you know, these generals. I mean, think, have you ever been to Stone Mountain in Atlanta? No. When you're in Atlanta, go check it out. Go down to the Ebenezer Church, you know, Martin Luther King, and get that history. It's beautiful. It's fun. It's a blast. It's super cool. And then go out to Stone Mountain. Okay. And it was the same architect who started it, who, who finished um, Mount Rushmore. So he's got Lee Jackson and, uh, and Davis, Jefferson Davis, on this mountain. Well, there are people who want to blow it off the face of the mountain. Mm -hmm. It's like, are you insane? <laughs> you know, learn from it. You know, right. they, 
okay, they wanted to preserve slavery. I get it. They're bad guys. All right. But you don't try to erase it from history. Bobby, think about the Parthenon. Think about everything the Romans did. Right. Every single one of those buildings, the pyramids were built with slave labor. Mm-hmm. White guys, Irish, your ancestors. Sure. I mean, they've all been slaves, right? Right. And, and you can take this to the most crazy extremes. And people say, oh, Brad, you're an extremist. That's not going to happen. Well, bull crap, it's happening. People want to blow Stone Mountain off the face of the planet. And it's just ridiculous to me. And so, I mean, it's the same with the Parthenon. Why don't we tear that thing down? Right. It's just this, this, this PC bullshit, bullcrap. Yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> is, you're is, is, is ridiculous. And, it's, and, and these liberals, uh, I'm going off. But it just <laughs> drives me crazy how they can possibly go there. Yeah. And like I said, I'm sensitive. We, we should remove these statues. We should put them in museums. But to destroy them? to destroy our history, to, to not allow Mark Twain, a book of inclusiveness to be read and studied in, in schools, in high schools is ridiculous. And I blame you liberals. And a lot of your listeners are probably going to uh, turn off now and, and uh, sorry for getting rid of half of your, uh, half your audience, but. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but Hey, I can't help myself. I told oh, him, it's my blood, buddy. It's in my yeah. blood. No, it's, I'm it's, passionate it's, about this stuff. I really am. Yeah. We should learn from history, not destroy it. We no, can't watch it. It's our history. It's there. Learn yeah. from it. Learn from our mistakes. Let the dead leave them alone, you know? <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it's a simple thing is, is what's going on with the, with the pandemic as well. You know, I mean, uh, people are talking, or you know, if, if they read their history and they know, I don't know if you've read uh, the, the Great Influenza, it's a really good book and it's on the, um, the Spanish flu, 1918. And this is not the first time we've had it to deal with this. started in Kansas, by the way. <laughs> I know, yeah. It started, yeah, it started here, it started in the Yeah, we started it, but it's one of those things that, uh, you know, the people are acting like this is the first time we've ever had to wear a mask or or something, uh, you know, to to some extreme. It's like, yeah, go read your history. This is not something new. This is something that we've had to deal with before. And, you know, it's, uh, but but history is certainly lost, you know, history is certainly lost and it's lost more and more every day. And we got to be smart about it. I mean, I mean, look, I. I know in Spain, for example, all the business, I mean, you, I, I couldn't even, so I, there's a, I leave from my house there in Spain on my bike and I go up into the mountains. It's a most beautiful bike ride. There are no cars. It's like my own bike path, right? I got really lucky. I had no idea it was there when I bought the house. They wouldn't even allowed me to go out by myself on my bike and ride up that road. That was illegal. So they shut down their entire economy and there's going to be huge ramifications. Now I know, you know, Trump, like for example, and some, and a lot of the governors are, are getting a lot of grief for, for keeping most of the economy open because only about 50% of our economy was closed down. Right. And I get it, you know, yeah, we have a lot more cases um, and there's been more death, right. but drug use is up three times. Suicides are way up. We never talk about these other ramifications of completely closing down society and their cost to that. 
I know. I I, I also psychologically, you know, being you know, able you know what to I'm selling? The, the, yeah. the fear you know what I'm of, of stores more than anything. What? Alcohol sales are through the roof. Tobacco yeah. sales are through the roof. You can't tell me there's no ramifications mm -hmm. to that. No, I mean, there's, there's definitely ramifications. I mean, I think sitting in your house for weeks at a time, you know, is, is uh, definitely psychologically not the, not the right way to, to, it's not the way we're supposed to be as humans, right? I mean, this interaction would be so much better if it's in person. There is something, and while Zoom's great, it's a great filler. It's not right. the same as having you right here being able to have the discussion, right? Being able to just chat. And, and I think that uh, it gets lost more and more, especially, you know, as you talk about people more and more on their phones, they lose that, that human interaction. And now you have this going on and it just, it just makes things more and more difficult. But I mean, I think that you have to be able to go out and, and live your life and, and know the risk that, that you take. I mean, every day it's silly as it is, you could get hit by a car walking down the street. I mean, it's just that the, the, every day there's risk in life and That's you try to do, uh, you try to be as safe as possible. The science is there. Wear a mask when you're in crap. Like, it's just not that hard. Just yeah, be smart, be safe, take good care of yourself, exercise, get your sleep. Like all simple things you should normally do, continue to do that. And, and if you're sick, we, obviously wear a mask. I mean, it, in Japan, they do it as a common courtesy. It's always been, you know, Japanese, yeah. it's, they just wear, oh, I got a cough. I'm just going to wear a mask, be, you know, out of courtesy towards other people. Amen. It's, Amen. Amen. Oh, what now, school did you go to? You, you're... School of life, school of life. Yeah, traveling, you know, traveling world skiing, you learn, you pick up a couple things, right? <laughs> and try, you know, try to be balanced. I try to get my daily dose of uh, Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. So I try to get, uh, try to get both sides. I know you don't want to hear that, but I like to, I try to get both sides of the pie there, BC. They, they have a good travel section. The rest of that paper's just crap. <laughs> they write some, they, they got some good stuff. They write some good articles in there. Now, <laughs> With everything going on, like how do you how do you keep uh, on track? Like what what habits do you kind of do that help you daily kind of kind of navigate? Because uh, I'm sure every day you got a laundry list of, of things to kind of accomplish. You got the wine going on, the stuff, the convenience stores. I mean, you have so much on your plate. What kind of keeps you keeps you on track? What what helps you with the day to day? Oh man, that's a good question. Well, it's been. Uh... So one of the other things I'm doing, and, and this will kind of help answer the, the question, I guess, is so I'm, I'm helping this group who has a super innovative technology for vaccines for this, for this COVID thing. They're working with cancer, okay. but they're now working, they're, they're, they're scaffold, if you will. They're, they're, they're back, their technology is perfectly suited to create vaccines. And the cool thing about it, without getting into all the details, and I, I'm no scientist, I can't really speak to them very intelligently anyway, mm -hmm. is that it's all done synthetically. Currently, the vaccines, you have to inject either goats or rabbits, you know, and, and then you get the blood and you, you process it and blah, 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 and there's mercury and, you know, it's just a... And you have to have these huge farms, which is why so much of it comes from China, because we don't have that here, that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But this technology is all done synthetically. Okay. And so we can scale, we can create, we think, 
if we're successful and we're in mice trials right now mm-hmm. uh, and we'll go into human trials in a couple of weeks, um, we can do a billion doses in a month. And, uh, and so this is, so you talk about what keeps you focused. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw this opportunity. I kind of jumped into it and we're kind of helping on the manufacturing side. Um, this is all patented technology and I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that, that we're successful. We know we will be with the, with the mice trials and the human trials. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing some great results. Um, so, so yeah, you think about, well, what's going on in the world today? How can I be a part of the fix? I mean, go 5g and how transformational that is yeah. when you get rid of the latency. You know, doctor, you can have a doctor operating in, in India, this renowned scientist and special, uh, specialty doctor operating in real time using 5G on a patient in the U.S. You can't do that now because, because of the latency, you know, you have the, the, the delays. The 5G right. is almost instantaneous, right? right? So it's that kind of transformational technology that, that I love that, that I'm excited to be a part of. And here's a new thing, you know, with, with uh, this coronavirus deal where I can be a part of that. So that kind of stuff keeps me focused and I'm spending time trying to, you know, create, um, trying to get the politicians because it's such a political animal right now, this thing, right. Uh, trying to get them involved. As soon as we get the mice trials, I'll be working with a number of politicians to help us get the word out We've already talked to Fauci and Wolfgang, who's his number one uh, immunologist, and uh, making good progress. But well, my point, I guess, is that life kind of keeps you focused, right? Right. You yep. see the opportunities out there, and you're like, "Well, I want to, you know, how how can I jump at that? How can I be a part of that?" Right. And and so that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me busy. And I got this vineyard I got to worry about, and I don't know how I'm going to get over there. And I got I got that to figure to figure out, and. And so, yeah, I'm a busy guy, but, um, also, uh, there's nobody likes to have fun like me. So <laughs> <laughs> now for, so for, for people out there kind of, kind of starting out, you know, you, you say you see those opportunities and, and you take the chance and, and you kind of go for it. I feel like there's a lot out there that are apprehensive to kind of take that first step. And what, what kind of advice or what kind of approach would you kind of give to them kind of moving into that, that avenue? Obviously, it takes a certain amount of kind of confidence. And then it's the classic Nike slogan of just just do it. But uh, a lot of people are apprehensive to kind of take that plunge or, or take that jump. Um, Bobby, I, this is what I would tell younger people. Mm-hmm. And this sounds super rude, right? You've got very little to lose. (laughs) I like that. That's true, though. You're getting married in September. Yes. I'm assuming someday you'll have a child. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Okay, fingers crossed. I've never talked to you about that, but I'm assuming that's part of the program. (laughs) Right. When you get into that phase of your life, it's a lot harder to say, screw this, I'm going to go do this. You know, because you you got people that depend on you, right? When you're young, this is the time to take chances, man. Go for it. I'll never say just do it because I can't stand that company. But just do it is true. I mean, now's the time to do it for young people. I've got my partner. So I'm building convenience stores and we're developing properties in Southern California. Mm -hmm. 
This is one of the cool stories you'll ever hear. His name is Jack Hofterali, one of my dearest friends on the planet. Love that guy like a brother. Jack Kofterali came from Lebanon during their civil war with five cents, with nothing. Yeah. They moved to Chicago, decided it was too cold. <laughs> moved to California. He opened a little uh, liquor store business, sold that, bought his first convenience store, um, created this chain of 40 convenience stores, sold that. Now he and I are building new ones, developing properties, big, huge um, uh, centers, commercial centers. Okay. This is a guy that had nothing. And not only that, he didn't speak any English. Wow. None. Wow. And now he's got two Ferraris in his garage. He's got a couple rolls, you know, the Don and I don't know. I'm not a big car guy, but whatever these, these cars, these, these, you know, I mean, and you talk about the American dream and it can only happen here. Mm -hmm. And, and it's because of, it's because of this country and capitalism. Yeah. And I know the left are trying to destroy that, but you got people who you got people like this guy who said, you know what? I can do it. He had nothing. And if he can do it, Bobby, yeah. anybody can do it. Now I agree. I had a, a leg up. I had a, you know, I jumped into a family business and, and but, uh, but and get, I mean, that's always, that's always such a, a interesting uh, argument. You know, you can't pick how you're born. You can't pick what you're born into. Right. I mean, uh, all you can do is take advantages of the opportunities that you're given. Yeah. I feel like it can't be your own foot. You know, you can't choose that. So how that can be held against you, even though it is, is kind of, kind of funny. Uh, no, <laughs> you know, and I mean, it's like, when we came into Maverick, I mean, the stock was worth 42 bucks. And when we left, it was like about, it was over 5,000, you know I mean? It was, uh, yeah. And so I, it's not, I mean, I worked hard. My cousin worked hard. We created something really valuable. It was fun. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just, just go for it, you know, figure out what you can do and go for it. Now's the time when you're young. Yeah. Like I said, it sounds kind of rude, but you got nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So you failed. Yeah. Big deal. You start again. I mean, yeah. That's my advice. You ask the question, I give you my candid advice. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I appreciate it. I mean, uh one of those things that, uh, And I would also say sorry to cut you off, no, but I also say go read that book. Yeah. Read Blue Ocean sure. Strategy. Yeah. Cuz it will give you a mindset that will help you focus on how to conquer success in the business world okay that's definitely a book uh i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna read i have a, i have quite the quite the laundry list that uh you got are there any others that i really need to uh take a take a gander at read that one first we'll... read that one first okay <laughs> perfect I'll, yeah easy 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 now one of those things kind of going through uh life with uh success and all the different things that you've kind of had to go through Speak a little bit to the perseverance because uh, I know there's not always sunshine and rainbows on the, on the day-to-day -day basis. And there's a lot of bullshit you have to deal with and times get tough and, and things get difficult, but um, you know, you kind of keep your head down and, and are able to persevere through. I feel like that sometimes get a, gets a, gets a little bit overlooked. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be easy to get discouraged. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, 
I don't know, you know, I've, I guess I've always, I've just been blessed with the, the mentality of, and I always say to my kids all the time, Bobby, I'm like, you have to be something. You might as well be happy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You gotta be something. Right. You might as well be happy. And, and even though, you know, life comes at you hard and I mean, life is, is awesome. Oh, absolutely. It's the best. And, yeah. and and anybody, even if your situation and your circumstances are, are poor, like I said, my partner, mm-hmm. anybody can make something of themselves here. If you work hard and you try, you can be successful, period, period. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, I think that speaks to uh, attitude. You know, it's clearly your attitude. And um, I think, do you think that's something that you can, you can change? Or do you think that that's something like your attitude is your attitude? Do you think, or, or what's kind of your opinion on that? Cause there's so many people that uh, friends that I know that are just negative and just kind of a little bit down and almost like an Eeyore. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, Hey man, what do you got to be so morose about? Like life's pretty good. Like, you know, and, and as much as you try to prod them along and kind of, kind of help them through it, it, it seems like it's one of those things where, I mean, it, it, that attitude uh, really kind of makes all the difference. Yeah. And who does it hurt? No one. There's <laughs> them. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Their attitude. Yeah. yeah. I thought you meant your, your, atti- your own attitude, but yeah. Yeah. yeah no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're on the same page, but yeah, yeah. Your, your negative attitude, it's all, it's only, it's only affecting you right. unless, you know, you or me or somebody I'm around these people, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, uh, why, why, why live life like that? What a miserable way to live. It's short, man. Yeah. It's short. Figure out how to be happy. Figure out how to make it work. Cause it's too short to, to be, to play the victim. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what this society is all about. I just think there's, there's all these victims out there and it's not fair. And yeah. you know, I want my free stuff and, you know, you got to do this for me. Why? Just because. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, I hate it's, that attitude. It drives me crazy. This whole victim culture, you know, again, yeah. getting started on the liberal thing. But, uh, you know, that's that's what I see. And I think it's I think it's, it's detrimental to people, your personality, to yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't allow you to be successful. Yeah. You buy into that crap. Right. Because... Like I said, if you, if you work hard and you have that desire and you'll do it, you'll be successful. There is 100% guaranteed. You may fail sometimes, yeah. but you'll be successful in this life. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody who has that work ethic and that drive who isn't. Right. You just got to go out and do it. You got to do it. Gotta go for it. Waiting for the world to come to you, it never will. That's very true. Well, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy, make sure you go out and uh, pick that up. I know I got to get on my uh, Amazon order. I've been, I've I've blown this guy up forever. I should get some of his. (laughs) (laughs) You should be getting some kickbacks. (laughs) Nobody listens to me, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) He's like, who? Well, I look forward to having you on in a few months when, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll be out in Spain and we'll be able to, uh, to do this again and uh, maybe hopefully in person next time, you know, we'll be trying some of the wine. All right, Bobby. I'd like to do you know, maybe a couple, st- a couple stogies. It sounds pretty good to me. 
I've got a, I got a pillow. Um, you can rest your head on that little pillow out there, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll enjoy uh, we'll enjoy that history, which is a very rich history out there too. Yeah, I look forward to uh, to checking it all out for sure. All right, buddy. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for taking the time, Brad. I really, uh, really appreciate it. Great chatting with you. Absolutely. All right, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, bye, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening in. I really appreciate it. Please make sure to take the time to like, share, and subscribe our show. And also you can follow along on Instagram. Thanks.